0: Today I'd just like to do is just begin with, with a reading of God's word. In Psalm chapter five, we'll read verses seven through 12. It's the end of, 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 a, of a study that started last week of Psalm 5. And so in, in chapter seven, assuming in verse 7 of, chapter, of Psalm 5, uh, David writes, "But I through the abundance of your steadfast love will into your house, I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels because of the abundance of their transgressions. Cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O oh God, you cover him with favor as with a shield. Now, I'll just say this, the, the hardest part about my leadership and the leadership of the men in this room who are fellow leaders with me has been the fact that what we think is... The way we thought the world was Sunday, it's not on Wednesday. Is that true? It's changing every day, so I can't. I talked to Miss Beverly last night on the phone, and one of the things I told Beverly, Beverly, we can't, we can't, we make decisions the morning of or the afternoon of because it'll change at lunch. It's moving so fast. Now, I think what what makes that kind of hostile to us, um, I want to begin with a verse. King Solomon wrote in Proverbs 16.9, said, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We are planners. We are planners Now, in the most petty way possible. I have to admit this. Most petty way possible. For me last week, it was spring break. And I had plans for my spring break and they totally changed. This week, for the rest of my family, is spring break and, and church family too. And guys, it's not what we planned, is it? A lot of us probably had plans of going where and doing things and, and now they're gone. And it's not gone till the end of March. It may be gone for a lot longer than that, right? We may be learning to live a completely different way. When our plans get disturbed, it causes a great deal of anxiety, doesn't it? We had worked things out that would be this way, and they're not. They're not that way. I think it's the most difficult aspect of the times in which we reside. It's that hostility of this day to our plans. By nature, men and women will both schedule and scheme. We devise goals and draw lines and dictate our will to the sovereign will of God most difficult thing is that I've spent my life and many of you have to both, both here and, and listening at home over the band that folks I know that we've spent our lives trying to organize them in such a way that they kind of produce what we want we had, we had, we had goals and I don't know about everybody in this room I know for me nothing I thought about myself at 21 is true at 52 nothing In fact, I would say if 21-year-old saw 52, he'd say I was a failure. A colossal failure. I don't think I'm a failure. To be honest with you, I'm I'm joyous in what God has blessed me to do. It doesn't always come with worldly-eyed things, okay? But I'm I'm pretty joyous about it. But, I mean, I have have plans. We all have plans. And and our plans tend to get in the way because we tend to take our plans and dictate them to the sovereign will of God. Say, God, this is what I have to have. And if I don't get it, then there's going to be a problem. Now, I'm not saying we, we speak to God in ultimatums, but I'm saying oftentimes we pray to God in which there is an, there's an underlying text of ultimatum, isn't there? The only way I can be happy is if I do this. The only way, the only way I'll be joyous, guys, if I do this. Praise God that He does not care what we want, need, or expect. I praise God that He doesn't, give a, doesn't care at all what Tony thinks he needs. I praise God that in the midst of this storm right now, God is totally satisfied in God and in His will. He's totally satisfied in it. None of this is happening against His will. His will has won out through this, even through disease. Even if we get sick, God's will is still done. All glory to the Lord... Because He gives of His infinite wisdom and His perfect eternal plan to undeserving men and women. What is so great is that God trumps my plans with His perfect will. God says, oh, you say you want this, but that's terrible. I'm going to give you what you need. You say this is what will make you happy, I'm going to make you joyous. You say the only way you can live is if this happens, I'm going to give you eternal life. That God's will is always better and that He gives it to us and we don't deserve it. Do not deserve it. From this truth emerges the rightful desire that we have for the guidance of Jesus in all matters that we face. That This is where we ought to be today, right now. Not just the people in this room, but everybody who hears this. This is where we need to be. And that is on our knees, requesting from our God the wisdom that only He can provide. God, give me wisdom. Please, God, give me wisdom. Because I don't know where to do, where, where to turn. I don't know what to do. Look, in knowing God... Um J.I. Packer wrote this. He said guidance, like all God's act of blessing under the covenant of grace, is a sovereign act. Not merely does God God's will God, not, does God will to guide us in the sense of showing us his way, that we may tread it, he wills also to guide us in the more fundamental sense of ensuring that whatever happens, whatever mistakes we may make, we shall come safely home. Slippings and strayings there will be. No doubt, but the everlasting arms are beneath us. We shall be caught, rescued, restored. This is God's promise. This is how good He is. He is so good that He prescribed for us a perfect will. And if we mess it up, if we mess it up, He neither leaves us nor forsakes us. And the best image I've got is an image from my life. Okay, for my life right now, Brother Brian it's chasing a toddler, and you've got to let her run, don't you? Because she'll never learn how if you don't. You've got to let her run, and she's got to bump her, you know, bump her head every once in a while, because she'll never learn, but at the same time you run with your hands just behind her, right? There may be a spill every once in a while, but no injuries, right? Joseph, they're going to skin a knee every once in a while. And they're going to fall off of something that you didn't know they were big enough to climb up on. And then you figured out they were just big enough to climb up on it. But we don't let them get hurt. Because we love them. So there's going to be some scratches and some bruises. But no major damage. And that's because God loves us so much. And that is His His illustration. Look, the specific joy of the psalm resides in the truth which Packer illustrates. That the sovereignty of God is so absolute... So much a reflection of the unchanging nature of God that when we are confounded by circumstances or surrounded by obstacles, we will never be lost. We cannot lose ourselves. We can't mess this up. Once we are His, we can feel like we do damage to ourselves. and In fact, oftentimes we do damage to our own hearts. But the reality is the path is never far from our sight. And God will do everything within His infinite power to see to it that we walk every step of that prescribed path. Every step of it. Literally, His arms are beneath us always to catch us when we stumble. Although we will at times struggle in His grasp. And that's what they do. You know, you reach out and you grab that toddler. What they do, they start wiggling. They throw that head back. And they do all those things to try to get away, don't they? He's just better at holding on to us than we are Holding on to our own children. Joseph, you can't keep Olivia from getting from every hurt, can you? But God can keep us from everything that would cause us to leave the path. He will manage us so well that we can never get very far away. The blessed Christ can no more let us go our own way than he can deny his own divinity. This is an expression of His divinity, of His sovereignty, and not of our goodness. He doesn't let us go because He's good, not because we're good. Let's look at the next two stanzas quickly. Stanza 3. King David couples together two important ideas. First, the reverential fear of the Lord, and then the believer's petition that God would guide them onto a righteous path in life. So we get two things that play together here. Fear and guidance. Now, what I'm going to say is this, and I speak... In total absolutes here, because it's okay to talk, to speak in absolutes. If I don't fear God, He won't guide me. If I do not fear God and what He says and what He thinks, then He simply will not guide me. I cannot tell you how many times in 20 plus years of ministering to regular people like us, that somebody has said something to me like, Oh well, you know, I know God's word says this, but I'm going to do what I want to do. That's the talk of a lost man. That's the talk of a lost woman. The, the motivation behind the relationship is love. But it is love informed by fear. Knowledge of who we're dealing with. I'm not dealing with my mom or my daddy. I've gotten old enough that I don't really have to listen to my parents anymore. They're wise. Often. And I probably should more than I do. But I've gotten old enough that I don't really have to deal, listen to my mom and daddy about everything. I just don't. In fact, there are a lot of things that I know better than they do about. Because I'm an old man now. But I never get to the point where I don't have to listen to what God says. I'll never grow to the point that what God says is just a suggestion for me. And I don't really have to mind His words. The reality is that His words come with both blessing and cursing. Every command if He has comes with, a, with, with the favor of being obedient. And the punishment, the chastisement of being disobedient. And I have to acknowledge that. That's part of the idea. And by doing that, now He guides me. When I've sub- submitted myself to this reverential, this respectful fear of God, when I've done that, now God guides my heart. Now all of a sudden, I'm not making decisions on my own. I am, I am now responding to the will of God. Look, these two ideas form a parental partnership in our subjection to the Lord and His leadership. In that, that He is a parent. He now gets to parent me as He needs to. He now gets to be my heavenly Father. Not just the Lord of all creation, but literally my heavenly parent. Who is always trying to keep me from harm and guide me to blessing. He's always doing that. Look, by way of the natural fear of authority which each civilized person should have, Christian believers are now connected to the instructing power of the Bible... And the influencing power of the Holy Spirit to individually guide us to obedience to God's Word. We're now connected to the Word and the Holy Spirit. So now the Word formulates in us that perfect will of God. It doesn't mean that I get my will becomes His will, it means I have a deeper and greater understanding of what His will is. Because He's expressed His will within the pages of Scripture. I know what He wants me to do. It's right here. It's before me. In, in, in every avenue of my life, it's right here. I've got the power of the Holy Spirit for me to understand that, for me to implement that will in my life. But beginning with the concept of respectful fear for a Divine Father, we're brought into a serious relationship. A serious, submissive relationship with Him. Look at this genuflecting that God takes presence over our allegiance to any other person or country. Now, I, these are dangerous words to say right now. I want to give you a little bit of illustration, and then I want to I want to frame them up the way the Bible would frame them up. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 6, Darius the Mede is the king. And Darius the Mede has essentially declared the worship of of Jehovah, of Yahweh, to be illegal. He has signed the proclamation. It has gone down. It has become the law of the land. Law of the land. When Daniel hears this, Daniel's response to the fact that his faith is now an illegal faith is to do this. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Now, Daniel doesn't make a show. Daniel's not the guy who never prayed and never been to church. But once the government makes it illegal, he's going to church. Not because he loves his Lord, but because he doesn't want to be told what to do by the government. Daniel did what he had always done. Daniel remained faithful when opposed by his government. You understand, I think there's a lot of people in this world who would be more faithful if the government opposed it, but they're doing that to stick it to the government, not because they loved our Lord. We need to be faithful when it's free. We need to be faithful when it's free so that our opposition to government is not hypocritical opposition, but it is obedience. So, so Daniel remains obedient. When forbidden by the authority to practice his faith, Daniel responds with obedience to the highest authority. What Daniel has done is what all of us are expected to do. Authority is part of our life whether we want it or not. Parents have authority over children and um and then, and when we go to work our boss has authority over us and if you're in school then your teachers and your principals have our authority over you if you're in the military your, your military life is all about authority everything in our life is about recognizing rightful authority over us and submitting ourselves to that rightful authority and we have no we have no biblical right to dispose of authority just simply because we want to because we find it inconvenient or it insults us that's human pride That's my giving in to my pride. I'm not saying I won't do it. I'm saying I'm the world's worst at times to do this. But I'm telling you that I am on no biblical authority when I say I'm just not going to do that just because I don't want to be told what to do. The fact of the matter is everybody in this world gets told what to do by somebody. Everybody gets told what to do by someone. So all Daniel has done is done exactly what we're all supposed to do which is prioritize authority. There are some authorities that are greater than other authorities. That makes perfect sense. It makes logical sense. Now look, not to be taken out of context, we do not reject authority merely because it offends us, or we do not like what it says to us. And that's what I think a lot of people do, is we kind of get offended by it, or we just don't like it. I don't like that. And so we just don't won't do it. Now that's childish. Now a ton of people are childish in this world, but that's childish nonetheless. The Bible simply doesn't tell me I can dispense with authority anytime I want to. Instead, we uphold the law and prioritize God's law above all earthly laws. And this is the heart of Peter's response to the Jewish council when he says in Acts 5.29, he says we must obey God rather than men. Look, as faithful and obedient believers in Christ Jesus, we never ignore or rebel against the laws of men because we are inconvenienced by them or troubled by the motivations behind them. It's another one of those things. Sometimes we'll dispense with with authority because we think the authority's crooked. Or we think the authority has an ulterior motive. Well, the reality is the authority above us is probably human. Which means it is kind of crooked and does have an ulterior motive. But we're the same way. We're the same way. It's not something new for us to think that people might have an agenda that serves themselves. Because we understand that everybody's got an agenda and it's virtually always on their side, right? Or the side of their family, the side of their loved ones. Everyone has that. We're not allowed to dispense with authority just because we don't trust that authority. There's absolutely no reason for, uh, for us to ever trust any authority that's human. Simply other than the fact that God told us to. God told us He's ultimately sovereign over them also. Instead, we fear God first. Obey men when their ends do not conflict with the words of God and trust Him to guide us on the paths to righteousness. Only men and women who have submitted themselves in fear and respect to God can hope to walk in a pleasing way before their God. This is ultimate for us, folks. This is ultimate for the content of your life from the time you come to Christ till the time He calls you home. If we get fear and respect and submission wrong, we are going to get so many things wrong in our life. Do you understand that? We're going to be those people who look back on over decades of our lives and say, God, why didn't I use that for you? Well, we didn't use it for Him because we didn't respect Him enough. We didn't love Him enough to do what He says. The only way to to really please God is to... Submit ourselves in fear and respect to God. But Jeremiah teaches in Jeremiah 10.23. says, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself. That it is not of man. That the way of man is not in himself. That it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. It's not in us to direct our own steps. If I... Choose. I'm always going to choose wrong. If I choose, I'm always going to choose badly. It's not in me. It's not part of humanity that enables us to be able to direct our own steps. We need authority. We need. I need somebody to tell me to drive the speed limit. Do you know why? Because I'll drive as fast as I need to at the time. If I feel like I need to get there bad enough, or I'm late enough, or somebody's sick enough, or there's something going on, I'll drive i th- I'll drive as fast as my car will go. Do you know why? Because I don't care about that person who's pulling out on the side streets. The fact that my baby's sick is more important than their life to me. I'm not saying that's right. I'm saying that's how people are. That's why God gave us civilization, that's why God gave us society with laws. Because He knows how self centered people are, and we'll do whatever we want. We'll gobble up all the food, we'll buy up all the toilet paper. You know why? Because we're self centered. We don't care if you got any. I need some. Why? I don't even know. I don't know why I need 500 rolls of toilet paper. Or Brian, 10,000 rounds of ammo. I mean, unless I'm... Unless, you know... China's going to invade my house. It's not going to happen. I don't need that. Why not do it? I do it because I want it. Because I'm driven by compulsion. Right? Because I'm self-centered and I'm petty. And I'm selfish. And that's people... That's people, we cannot direct ourselves. We need someone outside of us to direct us. And God purchased us with the blood of Jesus so that He can now direct us. Okay? We have a director. He has spoken through His Word. He applies that Word to our hearts with His Holy Spirit. And now He moves us to do things that we would never do and think things and feel things and love in ways we were never capable of. Because we have now been connected to His Word and His power. Our steps need the direction of the holy and just God, and we must acknowledge His desire to lead, our willingness to accept His direction, and the desperation the church should wisely express when we recognize the need for God's leadership in every aspect of our lives. If there's one revival that must happen here right now, at this moment, there's one revival, it is a revival of our seeking God's will about everything. Just like when tragedy always happens, churches fill up, people become more faithful, they pray more because they're scared. Here's the thing, let's translate fear of circumstances into fear of God and translate fear of God into submission to God and obedience to God. Because when that happens, we'll become the most God-seeking people ever. And as I've said before, you cannot get the church wrong if you're seeking God. We will not be wrong if we are truly seeking the wisdom of God. If we're truly seeking it, it's what God desires in this, I firmly believe, is a revival of our seeking His will. Finally, stanza 4 and stanza 5. The final two stanzas present a contradiction between the followers of the true God and their enemies in the world. For there is no truth in their mouth, in verse 9, their inmost self is destruction, the throat is an open grave, they flatter with their tongue. We, We see this quoted in the New Testament. While we understand that all of us have been enemies of Christ, and the truth that none came, and it's also truthful that none came willingly to the cross... We must have compassion even for violent aggressors. We have compassion on the lost world. Do you know why? Because we were lost. Because we did violence to the kingdom when we were lost. And now that we've been born again, we love a kingdom that before we hated, we love a truth that before we were incapable of loving and believing. Right? We have hearts that can love God's people when before we hated God's people. So, so I, the only reason I say that is to say this: I know that these psalms speak of enemies a lot, and we always look to enemies and say the same thing. And what we do is say, "Look, I once was an enemy." Let's share the truth with the enemies. We send missionaries around the world to speak to the enemies of God. We send send missionaries around the world to literally speak to people who are in false religions, condemned to death, who hate our God and hate His way. And yet, we, we send the truth to them. The prophet Hosea speaks specifically of what happens when the house of God is infested with and corrupted by those who have indirectly or directly sworn allegiance to false gods. Look, Hosea says in Hosea 9, 8-9, he says, The prophet is the watchman of Ephraim with my God, yet a fouler snare is on all his ways and hatred in the house of his God. They have deeply corrupted themselves in the days of Gibeah. He will remember their iniquity. He will punish their sins. There's a corruption that is both of the men sometimes and of the followers. There's a corruption in the house of God. Now look, the writer describes a scenario in which the prophet walks with God. But his way is fraught with traps and pitfalls. Now what causes God's people... What causes God's people... To trap the one who brings the word. Now this is not this is not about the pastor any more than it's about the Sunday school teacher or the man or the woman that witnesses on their job or the kid who goes to school and, and witnesses in class and challenges their teacher or their professor. It's about all of us who would go forth boldly with the word for the missionary, young and old, all of us. So why would what would motivate the laying of traps? And I said this: there's a hatred of both the man. And the truth within the body of believers. The Bible says it's motivated by hatred, hatred in the house of his God. Just motivated by hatred. Now look, here's the thing: most preachers I know, folks, I know a lot of hated preachers. I don't know any who are important enough to deserve to be hated. It's not that important. We are we are a minor irritation for most people, right, preachers. A minor irritation. I, I, I'm sure there are people that don't like me. I don't know why I, they would bother. But why might they not like a, a man... A, the, well, here's the prophet. Why might they not like a man of God in a pulpit? Because they don't like the truth. Because they hate the truth. There's, when, when the church is inflicted with a hatred of truth... When, when the body of believers, the, the 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 acknowledged, Brother Brian, body of believers, not the universal, not the real believers, but those that are acknowledged to be part of the body of believers, when the acknowledged body of believers begins to hate the truth, there are severe problems that God promises to judge. Hence, the most important lesson that we must remember is that God's people are truth-loving. How do we mark ourselves out? We're truth-loving. How do we know that we belong to God? We love the truth. We love the truth. Even when it's against us, Stephen, even when it says to me that I'm wrong, I love it because it tells me I'm wrong. I love a brother because it says, Brother Tony, you're wrong. You said that wrong. Please correct yourself. I love that. We're supposed to love it. We're supposed to love truth. Love truth more than anything else. I've got to model it, and you've got, to, you've got to submit yourselves to it. We've got to love truth. Truth is the most important thing we have. It is the only lasting thing the church possesses. It is the truth that will carry its way over into the, into the next world whenever we begin to compromise or rationalize this truth, usually for personal reasons, if I've ever seen the truth harmed within the body of believers, it is always because it gets too personal. The truth that's inflicted upon my neighbor is one thing. The truth I have to submit myself to is radically different. When the truth gets to be against me and against my family and against my kids, then it becomes a real problem. We slide down that bitter path which downgrades the Bible to suggestion. If there's anything that describes the 21st century church is that biblical truth has become a suggestion. If you want to follow this, follow this. If you want to choose something else, Brother Kyle, just interpret it another way. Somebody, There's somebody out there that says what you want to hear, go find it. And believe they're right and everybody else is wrong. When the Bible becomes suggestion, that body of believers is doomed. That promotes weakness in the pulpit. yeah, we, we've, I've used the illustration before when men lick their finger and they test the, the wind that blows within the body of believers. But I don't think they like this, I won't say that anymore. but they like this up here. I'll, I'll preach that. We start preaching to likes and dislikes. And I quite imagine in a in a in a world of, of media, of multimedia, a world of social media, I quite imagine the temptation is even greater now than it ever has been. Ever has been to play to the crowd. To want to please the crowd. And, f- and finally, shallowness in the sermon. You know it's the best way to get people on your side, don't say very much. They won't hate the truth if there's not any truth in it. They won't hate the truth if it's all stuff they wanted to hear and they just love hearing it. They won't hate the truth at all if there's not any truth to hate. It ends in the personal corruption of God's people by their own wicked and disastrous will. What happens is if I won't get up here, if the other pastors won't get up here, if the Sunday school teacher and the friend and the mom and the dad, if we won't stand for the perfect will of God as expressed through the inerrant Word of God, if we won't do that, what we've done now is a left a vacuum. Avoid, And we've now allowed people to fill it in with their will. Now people can say what they want to do, and how they want to live, and what they want to be. And it's always corrupt. When Christ does not reign, then we reign over ourselves. And as Solomon reminds us in Proverbs fourteen twelve, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. When I lead, I'm always going to lead to death. When I lead, I'll always lead to destruction. When I lead, I will always destroy. When God leads, we flourish. We thrive. When I lead, we crumble. When you lead your life, it will crumble every time. When you get your way, it's always the wrong thing. When you get God's way, it's always the right thing. Always the right thing. However, the difference in the attitude of the church in God's response to that mindset is staggering. He gives us this, this final thing I want to share with you very quickly. In Psalm 55, back, back in, at the end of it, in verses 11 and 12. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous Oh Lord, you cover him with favor as with a shield. Look, when we take refuge, we can truly rejoice in every circumstance. Not just when things go our way. See, that's the thing. There's that fair weather friend aspect of the 21st century church, which is that I'm so happy because everything's going my way. And the one day it turns, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. We're still those those people Singing the funeral dirges. We're still looking for our way. And and what we want. Above God's will. Look there's an exchange here. We sing His praises. And Christ protects us. So that we're able to declare His name to the world. So what's our response today to all of this truth? Sing the praises of God. Whatever we get. In the middle of a pandemic, we sing the praises of God. Not able to be together the way we want to be. This room is usually pretty full on a Wednesday night, and now there's a huge echo in here. That's not dimmed by the bodies at all. I didn't get this is not my way, it's not what I wanted. Praise him in the midst of it. Praising even though I'm getting something in my life that I never asked for, and nobody would ever want praising. Praise Him nonetheless. Why? When we praise Him, He protects us, then we're able to declare His name to the world. When, when He protects us, then we're now free. As a people, obsessing over the righteousness of God, surrendering to His Word, guided by the Holy Spirit. Now, that's who we are. We, we obsess over the righteousness of God. I want to be righteous. You need to want to be righteous. All of us, the church, need—we need to be want—we need to want to be righteous. And we do that by surrendering to His word in every aspect, I'm not arguing with the Word of God. Whatever the Word of God says, that's what we implement. Whatever the Word of God says, that's what I do because God's word is perfect. I will never go wrong following God's word. I will never go astray. My life will never be harmed if I follow God's word, guided by the Holy Spirit. Because when I follow God's word, the Holy Spirit guides me, shows me things. As we talked about this before, I think it's the most amazing happenstance in our lives. And that is when we, folks, when you turn from page to page, when you're reading through the scriptures. And man, Brother Brian, every page breaks your heart. Every page, like, I never saw that before. And you've read it a dozen times, but it never meant anything. It was never personally applied to your life and it's truth, It's unchanging truth has now... Overwhelms you. That's the guiding of the Holy Spirit. So the word becomes personal. Look, the true God covers us with his defending favor. Now, that's something I've never thought about in my life, and it's so apparent. And maybe you've never thought about it either. And in a time of crisis like this, we probably don't think of favor, but we're favored. God has blessed us. We can't be together, but God's blessed us. We have, an, we have a way to connect with people right now in this entire church without even trying very hard. I pushed a button. Favor. Favor. What did the church do in the Middle Ages? They just got sick. They just met and they got sick. We can meet with just the press of a button, and everyone can stay connected, everyone can pray for each other and love each other. We're experiencing the favor of God right now. And it's a favor that defends us. And it defends us. Why? Because we've submitted ourselves to him in reverential fear. We believed the word. And now we intend to practice the word in our lives. And it's guided by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we can now go forth and proclaim his goodness. Let's pray.